Welcome everybody to another Angry Wargamer podcast. This one's special. It is myself, Jason the Angry Wargamer, and a special, special guest, the doctor from TikTok, Dr. Implausible himself. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing just fine there, Angry Wargamer Jay, or just Jay, however you'd like me to call you today. I'm very happy to be here with you on this podcast. So hope it's coming in loud and clear. I'm out here in the hinterlands of uh, Canada. And uh, sometimes the connection's a little tr- rough, but uh, we'll do our best to reach you. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for the invite. Really happy to be talking to your audience today. No, that was, it was honestly, so when I put out the invite, I was shocked by the amount of people that wanted to come. And then specifically you, because I was like, well, that's going to, this is going to be fun. So, <laughs> so, um, well, tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Implausible. All right. Well, the the doctorate is real. I finished my PhD in 2020. Uh, the PhD was I was looking at innovation in makerspaces, and the makerspaces came about. There's a long and winding road that uh, got to that. Uh, but I've done uh, my master's degree was back in like 2008, 2009, and I was looking at science fiction influences on the vir- development of virtual reality. And so I published, I haven't published nearly enough yet for an academic. I got to kind of work on that and I'm working on a few papers to kind of bring that up. But I did publish a paper on World of Warcraft and virtual reality and AOL and how it all kind of related together. And this was back in 2009-ish, I want to say. So a little bit of academic work. I've been a member of the Canadian Game Studies Association for about um, 15 years now, I guess. And so I've written a couple papers on uh, game studies, mostly analog gaming. And I've been looking at um, TikTok kind of as a research area right now. And I've been doing a little bit of participatory research there. I've been a lifelong gamer. I got uh, Dungeons and Dragons, the blue and red box back around 7980, along with the monster manual. And back then we just kind of put everything together had Warhammer Rogue Trader back in 86 or 87, whenever it released. And I still got some Alpha Magic the Gathering cards. So uh, I hope my nerd cred is uh, solid, but uh, sometimes I don't know if you age out of this. Uh, sometimes it feels like I'm not necessarily uh, with it, with everything. But yeah, longtime gamer. And that was kind of always a through line. And so when I went back to academia to study, well, like I said, virtual reality and science fiction and the like, um, I didn't realize that game studies was a field and there was uh, some people at my uh, university that were actively studying that. They were looking at like, um, world of Warcraft and then Eve online and some other stuff. This is like early 2007 through 2010 kind of era. And, and, um, yeah, I started looking at that more, more regularly and a little bit with a little bit more rigor than uh, normal. And so that's kind of continued on since. And uh, once TikTok uh, joined up, I kind of missed the boat on Twitter uh, and that uh, I recognize it's there, but I wasn't really <laughs> heavily engaged in any of the social media. I found Facebook was a little bit off-putting. Um, you know, it's good for connection with friends, but the the discourse on it was a little much. And, t- and Twitter was its kind of its own thing too. Um, so when TikTok came out, uh, and we, the pandemic hit and I, like everybody, I kind of downloaded, Oh, what's this thing? <laughs> and started following along. And then after about a few months, I got up the courage to say, well, somebody's wrong on the internet. I guess I need to start posting and, uh, <laughs> started uh, posting a little bit more regularly on TikTok, And that turned out to be a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the creative aspects of it, but, uh, also I started noticing what was actually going on within the community. And it was really weird because, uh, you know, you think about like Warhammer community online, how on the forums and on Twitter and stuff, you know, the like if you think about the 40K fandom as a whole, what's the one word that you use to describe it? Oh, <laughs> um, I would honestly say just like most of the fandoms, it gets pretty toxic online, like very toxic online. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of entitlement and like, oh, these Marines don't look this way or why are they plastic or why are they multi monopose or whatever. Right. So it seems like any little thing that comes out, there's a segment of the population that is very loud and very vocal and very against it. And then I started engaging with the TikTok community, both the Warhammer community and the Gundam community. And they were super positive. It was weird. Right. You know, like, yeah. you think these are these toxic spaces. 
And, and I found the community really inviting. People would say, oh, that looks cool. You're doing a kit. That's awesome. And you get friend requests and people would be liking your posts and really pumping you up. And, and in the Warhammer community, it would be just like, here, let me show off you my models. I just got this for, you know, I haven't uh, looked at them in 25 years. I thought I could try it out again. <laughs> and so those communities were very positive. And they were kind of a contrast to um, the Dungeons & Dragons community, which has grown ex exponentially in uh, since about 2016, I think. And we know that's mostly due to Critical Role and their influence and a little bit of fifth edition and, and just media mentions as a whole, like Stranger Things and whatever. Yeah. Um, but there's, uh, I, I found the D&D community much more toxic and caustic than I found like the other gaming communities and, and say MTG and the Pokemon fandoms are, are their own things. And I'm kind of adjacent to that. I have some old nerd cred, but not, you know, current nerd cred. I play a little bit of <laughs> yeah. arena online. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, some of the online communities were fantastic in ways that you probably wouldn't think. And then some were really, really corrosive in ways that was not necessarily being communicated um, directly. And so that was interesting. And I started doing a research paper on that. And if I end up talking a lot about that, I'll. <laughs> it's just because it's on my mind. I've been <laughs> going through the, right. uh, I've, you know, I've been typing that up this week. Um, and, but, you know, there, there's, there's probably... I don't want to say too much on that until it's finished, but we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, and then, um, and then there were some other things that came about in the, um, in the uh, TikTok community that were really positive. And so I've been, uh, you've been a bit of an inspiration to me here, uh, Jay, <laughs> as you got the podcast going and you're running it and putting it out pretty regularly. I am, um, I've got a draft of episode one of the podcast. It's going to be coming down hopefully in the next week or so. And so uh, we'll get the Implausipod going. Nice. I was, uh, when you showed your equipment, I was like, uh, this is one I'm listening to now. So I've probably uh, overspent on some of the equipment, but uh, that's the idea anyways. You can start get going with it. Yeah. So um, the, uh, if, yeah. I don't know if my equipment is on the very, it's not on the cheap side, but it's on the like, my laptop needs to be replaced. <laughs> so once I move everything out, out of this room and it gets to the new computer, like it will be a significant upgrade, at least for software wise. But as of right now, it's I'm pretty much on the budget side. Um, oh, oh, fair. I mean, but I, I just did a computer upgrade last year, but it was like eight years on. I bought one in like 2013. And, and and then I bought most of the components and went ended up waiting six months for a video card. And so oh. I, most of it was sitting in a box in my basement. Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, the applause pod. We'll do the uh, hype train on and any of the stuff at the end there. But um, <laughs> what that came about, I started. You play much uh, Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, yeah, I do actually. But when COVID happened, um, I'm one of those like on like I don't like the online portion of it. I like to play in person, so I haven't actually moved to online. So when I was actually looking for a group around like 2019, 2020, like there was no way for me to find one. So, yeah, but yeah, no, uh, Dungeons and Dragons is like a big thing for me. So, right on. Okay, so you remember, uh, do you remember the old school uh, Dungeon Masters guy? Yes, they had. Yeah, okay. So there's just like tables and tables and tables in the back, and in the back of that they had the appendix. N, right, which is the uh, infamous list of uh, books that Gary Gygax thought were that said explicitly were inspiration for Dungeons and Dragons, and right. so I know there's a, a group of guys that are like looking into the Appendix N for D and D and actually going through and reading them, but we don't have that for Warhammer Forty Thousand. No. So uh, the Implausipod, I got the first four episodes mapped out in about the first thirty titles, uh, and I was looking at what the uh, what the Games Workshop guys, especially in the mid to late 80s. So the idea will be to um, create an Appendix N of a sort. Uh, like I said, I've got a few titles up on the uh, the uh, blog. And we'll, uh, the blog is kind of like a very occasional 
forget about it for two months and then make three posts and, and kind of forget about it again. Uh, yeah, same like all these. The only thing that's been consistent has been TikTok because I find it's a positive experience there. I mean, a, pe- a lot of people comment about the toxicity, but honestly, it's the toxicity from the site is so much of that is self-generated, right? So you know how the TikTok algorithm famously will feed you back a lot of what you interact with. And so if you're finding TikTok is toxic, I'd say the first step would be to look in the mirror. And that would be for anybody. Uh, and, and see what kind of stuff you're putting out there. So maybe let's talk a little bit about TikTok. Then. So what yeah, what, uh, what brought you to TikTok, Jay? Um, so... <laughs> I don't know. I, the my first couple posts were just like, oh, I'm just gonna put out a video, like whatever. And I was like, oh, maybe I can be a little bit funny or something. You can go back. I left them on there. The my couple first original posts, I was making fun of myself because everyone called me Doug because of my job from uh, King of Queens. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, I'll poke fun at myself. And then I started seeing a lot of Warhammer stuff. So I was like, oh, that's cool. And it just so happened that I had just gotten injured. Um, so around February of 20 no 2021 is when i got injured i caught covid yeah so about around like february ish of 2021 is when i really started posting but i think i was on there in 2019 or 2020 and i caught covid and i was just kind of sitting around for six weeks because no doctor could tell me what was wrong with me um and i was one of the people ended up in the hospital for like three days oh yeah yeah Yeah, I lost my breathing and everything. I just like I couldn't figure. No one could figure out what was wrong. And this was before they were even testing for it. And then six months later, I ended up getting a phone call from um, the infectious disease doctor that saw me in the um, uh, ER because I actually I went to the ER and then I got admitted for three days. And they're like, are you okay?" And I was like, I had COVID, didn't I? They're like, we can't actually say that without testing you. But you fit all the symptoms back then. And I was like, I figured. <laughs> so, um, oh, wow. so super early on. So you're yeah. laid up for a while, six weeks, nothing to do. And you're like, okay, what's this thing? Yeah, exactly. I was like, what's this stupid entertainment? And then, uh, it turned into Warhammer stuff for me. I, I saw a lot of Warhammer stuff. Derposaurus was there. West hammer. I caught in the beginning. Um, Larry from Models Workshop, and then it just kind of blew up from there. So, I mean, I'm not, like, huge on TikTok by any means, but <laughs> I just started posting more and more about Warhammer and painting, and then kind of... And, and, yeah, it kind of stuck. I think my, mine, uh, similar, minus the COVID, I think uh, we got, yeah, sent home in March of 2020, and I think I created an account, and it was just viewing for, like, the first six months, and... Uh, you know, no posts, no comment, just going, oh, this is kind of kind of cool, and I'd share it with a couple of friends. And then uh, I think that summer I started posting, like, oh, here's this cool restaurant I went by and whatever, and here's <laughs> some outdoor stuff. It was a long time before I showed my face. I was using some of the early filters because eh, I didn't want anybody to see me. Right. Um, <laughs> and then after a while, I got over that. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was kind of that. Um, and, th- and then it was eventually, like, Oh, here's some bad D and D takes. No, and I think yeah. it was. I think the first one I posted about was somebody was advocating for uh, level drain. Oh, you should use level drain on your on your players. And I'm like, no, level drain <laughs> sucks. It's absolutely hostile gaming. You know, it's just a complete yeah. unfun yeah. kind of uh, mechanic. And I know we kind of. Uh, we, we, we say, oh, yeah, back in my day we had level drain. And I'm like, no, it's just complete anti-progress. It's just a horrible mechanic. There's other ways to do it now. And so I know there was a lot of new entrants to it. It was like, okay, the, somebody's wrong on the Internet. i got to get on there and, and set the record straight. And so I made a post and because I had all of 150 followers maybe at the time. <laughs> you know, it, it went about as far as it ever does. But it, it encouraged me to start interacting with it a little bit more. Uh, and then, uh, and so I was posting on Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, like, oh, here's some, here's some tips and tricks. And then a little bit of my Warhammer stuff, because I still have ancient stuff from back in the rogue trader days. So I'd occasionally post some pics of that and, uh, inter interfaced with the, um, I was, I was buying Gundams at the time, the new, uh, one, one of the, um, sets of armor there. I was using it, going to use it as like a proxy tau armory. 
because uh, I, I can't afford GW prices for Tau. It's just like, oh, here's, I want a battlesuit army. Because I think when it comes to GW, I, I really, I'm really liking the big armies. I want a knight. I have a knight's army. Um, I'm kind of looking at Chaos Knights. I wouldn't mind a Sons of Bahamut army. I don't want to run uh, or paint a uh, hundred right. orcs or a hundred Dean <laughs> Steeler cult, even though I do have them. So I'm not looking at the horde gaming anymore. Like, give me five big models, and I'll I'll bash it out with that. Yeah, my Death Guard turned into like a passion project, and then I realized how much effort I was putting into the horde part of it, and I was like, okay, this has to stop. Like, this just has to stop. <laughs> oh, absolutely, and that's Death Guard, where you know a green and a couple washes, and do they look do they look gross? And you're like, yeah, okay, uh, but. <laughs> You do anything a little bit more complex, like Eldar, or um, oh, geez, I got this post in my drafts. I should post it up for a new te- technique for Harlequins. But, anyways, uh, the the fun thing about TikTok is you get stuff from all over, right? And it's right. fantastic for that. But uh, but it also it'll give you what you're looking at. So at times, I don't see any of mainstream TikTok. You know, it's like once a week. <laughs> And even if you're following them, it'll never serve you up. Like I can follow major creators, uh, like say Straw Hat Goofy or somebody talking about film. I'll see them once a week, uh, and that. But other stuff to see like daily or five times a day. I think it's funny uh, because I purposely don't follow Straw Hat Goofy, <laughs> and I see him more than I usually do. So I'm wondering if it's like you don't follow, and they're trying to push you to follow him, and then you just get the content anyway. That, that's, that's a good call. I've, I've noticed the same with some D&D creators that I'll see the ones I don't follow more than the ones I do. Uh, unless I'm interacting with you on a regular basis, uh, they're, they're, then, yeah, you don't, you don't see them hardly at all. And, and, and that's a shame because I'm following the, the creators I like because I've, they're the creators I like. They're putting right. what I want. And I don't want to see some of the random stuff that's out there, but they uh, filter the random stuff into the mix. So yeah, and then I think in you, you mentioned uh, following Wes Hammer, and I think I called out Wes Hammer on one post, and that got me that kind of pushed me over a little bit. Um, he was like, "Oh, I'm shadow banned, and you know I'm sent back to the miners," and I called him out for that because yeah. you know that's nonsense. There's no minor <laughs> leaks. Um, I mean, there's bigger posters and, and not, but I think the whole shadow ban thing is mostly nonsense too. Um, there's obviously there's tons and tons of content out there. So if you're not getting pushed on any given day, then, um, <laughs> maybe look at the content you're putting out. Right. I think, I think that goes farther than anything else. Um, I mean, but then sometimes you have something goofy that just takes off, like, and, and right. I, I can't explain that. It's just <laughs> well, people, people thought it was goofy. People thought it was fun, um, and, and you just kind of go with it. So, uh, people say you got to focus on a niche, and that works well if you want to be engaged in that niche. But um, I've got too many niches that I want to be engaged Dude. with. So, I'll put out whatever is of interest, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So right now, do you uh, find so going? I guess going along with your research, do you find that the D and D toxicity is similar to, say, the Star Wars toxicity? Because, or even I think Harry Potter would be another good example of that. Yeah, I think, and and so this is what I'm working on right now, and I'm trying to put some numbers to it. Like, okay, so TikTok's very cyclical, right? Mm-hmm. And you notice any group, it doesn't matter whether it's a music production. I remember there was a flame war over in the quilting channels and or the knitting <laughs> channel or something, and uh, heard about that. I'm like, why is knitting toxic? I'm like, oh, you don't don't get the knitters started. Um, and and so it's it's something that's common to any online community. And so what I'm currently working on is kind of sussing out some of the characteristics that make it toxic. Uh, so there's been some research on this, especially in, in game studies and fandom studies, uh, for the last decade at least, right? And I've been uh, searching on some of those papers, reading some of those papers, going back into the research, because my initial research wasn't on on like toxic fan cultures or toxic fan practices at all. But um, what I'm doing is kind of noticing what's happening on TikTok 
mapping that to early experiences that I had on, whether it was on Usenet or on web forums or whatever, I mean, and seeing if there's any common patterns that we can draw out of that. And so it's less about the topic and more about the community. And it's what the community allows. So if the community, and I'm talking in, you know, so if the, if the respected posters in the community post toxic stuff, mm -hmm. then the community is going to be toxic, right? Right. And so if um, Harry Potter and Star Wars are similarly toxic, but um, hmm, that, that, that's a tricky question. I, I, I'm not that engaged with the Harry Potter stuff. Right. Some of that's toxicity in material. Uh, and and honestly, this causes tons of problems in the Dungeons and Dragons community as well, because there is some inherently uh, toxic stuff in, in 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 the early material, right? Right. Uh, and it it leads to some of the flame wars, things like alignment, things like race, uh, class, etc. Uh, but there's other elements that kind of that make it so. And, and I think a lot of it is um, mostly we're looking at it in, in a lens of social capital. So there's an author by the name of Mia Consalvo. And in around 2010 and 2012, she started talking about the idea of gamer capital, right? And so gamer capital is basically just social capital relating to a, a particular game. Uh, and we could also chart that out and look at it in terms of like the gaming uh, gaming as a whole. But what we both know is that there's so many different little niches within gaming, whether, and you can look at like the big ones, Dungeons and Dragons, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic the Gathering, Warhammer 40,000. Let's call those our big five. Um, and then there's all the little niches, right? And, and just tiny subsets of that. And so there is no one nerd culture. This is what we know. Right. <laughs> that, that somebody can be really into Star Wars and Harry Potter and go, uh, Warhammer 40,000, what's that? And then ha Henry Cavill is on a, on a talk show and going, oh, let me tell you all about my Adeptus Custodes, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and so it's, it's kind of filtering through to the mainstream, but, you know, Warhammer 40,000, it, it's kind of amazing because uh, it's always been a niche of a niche, right? And and there's never been a major 40K movie or even the stuff that they're doing with their network releases. We thought maybe, um, isn't there one show that's coming out on Amazon Prime? For Warhammer? Yeah, isn't that the, um, mm. the Jericho, Cal Jericho series? Is that uh, oh, one haven't... that's under development? I but I mean, that would that. be like the first major, uh, you know, mass media kind of uh, release, if that's if that's true. I can't remember if it's still in development or not. Right. So the um, I find it it's I actually had a conversation with on my uh, on the podcast with Sci-Fi for me, and we were talking about how the goal of these companies, uh, including like Hasbro, is to push into the um, entertainment media outlet so like warhammer is you can kind of see the push especially with the warhammer plus app which kind of makes sense it's they're not pushing away from the tabletop they're just expanding it to catch the the hollywood play because they'll they know they'll make the most money by licensing out to like hollywood media okay yeah so i mean this has kind of been their approach for video games for a while right the They'll license pretty much anything uh, and, and then let stuff go out. But yeah, their approach to Hollywood is, um, are, are they looking to like have control of the IP if it goes out? Or is has that been like the stumbling block? I, I, I would assume so. I mean, the push to the app, would they were trying to control their IP to begin with. They're very like ravenous on controlling their IP. So like we saw with uh, the Space Marine debacle with Amazon and authors. Like sci-fi authors, the GW went after the words uh, "space marine," and everyone's like, "This has been a topic in sci-fi since forever." <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. <laughs> that's why you see the shift in names of um, 
Adeptus Astartes instead of Space Marines now. Yeah, Astra Militarum and that. Yeah, yeah um, I was I was looking at my copy of uh, Starship Troopers, which is from like 1958, and uh, I'm trying to remember if there were Marines in that one or not. Uh, I, I know we had uh, famously the Colonial Marines from Aliens, and that was what 86. Mm-hmm. So even that predates uh, Rogue Trooper, uh, Rogue Rogue Trader. Uh, yeah, I think there'd be hard pressed to make that claim right and so yeah you're absolutely right that the actions of gw over the last decade with uh coming up with their unique names for every single pot of paint and aldari putting on an a and an i on either end of it just so it isn't eldar which isn't copyrightable um it, it really drives what they've been doing with control of their ip over the last yeah decade since they kind of had the regime change at corporate up top there yeah, but I, I think uh, looking at Games Workshop as a company, it's really—I mean, I'm happy to see the way that they've they've come around. I mean, I remember the dark days of like fifth and sixth edition, where you're trying to <laughs> read tea leaves and look at the smokestack to figure out what was coming, and you wouldn't see an update on the codex for years or maybe even an edition if you were lucky. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it, it's been a complete 180 shift, and, it, and it's been really welcomed. Uh, you know, I don't know what pushed them to that, whether it was, uh, you know, the Privateer Press's War, War Machine and Hordes or Fantasy Flight Games, X-Wing Games actually taking space away from them, or if it was just, you know, time for a change that they made it. But, um, you know, they've they've kind of really expanded their reach. They brought back a lot of the fun specialist games. So, you know, Necromunda, uh, Deptus Titanicus, uh, we're seeing... With, with some of it, they're really revisiting some of their old IP. And uh, I'll admit I'm not immune to making nostalgia-based purchases. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as, uh, as I'm sitting here looking at my uh, brand-new avatar of Kane here beside me as it just came out. Um, so I, I've made more than one or two uh, buys based purely on nostalgia. Um, but the product they've been putting out is good. I Sometimes right. if I look at it and I go, okay, this model is 120 versus a model of the same size from WizKids or something for 40 bucks. I'm like, ah, okay, maybe it gets a little tough. But uh, but by and large, it's been nice to see the support they've been giving across their product lines and the new models they've been putting out the way they do it in a, um, like with uh, Warhammer Underworlds or as a specialist kill team or something, mm-hmm. uh, bringing them out. It's really been uh, serving the community. And I think that's, just to tie back to our po- talk, uh, discussion on positivity, I think that's why it's mostly been positive, that there is stuff out there. We're not really waiting outside of their recent uh, April Fool's joke on squats, and maybe we need to... Which, uh, which I, turned I out to be real. They, they came out today. Oh, with, they came out today? Okay. Yeah, with an article been, saying that it's real. It's yeah. real. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> They thought they Good. got us, and then they reversed it. Like, no, we got you. It's 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 a real thing. <laughs> okay, they, they they had us. Uh, I, I mentioned, I think, um, Wrath of Minis posted, and he was totally bummed that it turned out to be an April uh, Fool's joke. And I said, well, I think there was about five years ago, maybe longer now. They uh, they did an April Fool's thing where they were digging through a recycling bin, and they came up with. Uh, oh, here's the Magnus Mini, and here's uh, some Plastic Sisters of Battle and a Plastic Thunderhawk, uh, like on Sprue. And uh, they've released all, I guess if you count the Aeronautica Imperialis Thunderhawk, I guess they've released all of those now. So, right. uh, yeah, if it's real, I, I happily see them back. I have a fully painted Epic Army from uh, about 1992 uh, that are squats and they were one of my favorite opponents from back in the day they uh they changed their name and it looks like they look different so you know how they've they've managed to scale up the entire miniature line okay yeah it looks like they've scaled up the squats also so now they're they look like i don't know i'd actually have to see a side by side of them but they look like what the old marines look like and like as far as like height but they got that like stocky build to them so i i'm curious to see a side-by-side with them but they they're called something different now they're like lords leagues of of votan i just brought up warcom here on the side as we're chatting and uh that looks pretty solid they don't look like the old squats they don't look like uh mantic's forge fathers that's a pretty cool design they look like more lifelike um 
Keldoran Overlords from Age of Sigmar. Oh yeah, that's a perfect call. And I, I love that white armor with the runic uh, shoulder pad. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll start <laughs> putting away, uh, putting away some money or selling some Ethereum <laughs> or something and uh, figuring out how, how to how to fund another forty k army. Yeah, uh, I literally told my friend I'm like, Horus Heresy. I'm, I'm just wondering <laughs> if my if my old uh, Rogue Trader era beakies can count as uh, Marines and Horus Heresy. I'll be good, but yeah. otherwise, uh, I'm probably down for this one. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Oh, anyway, so to be a, to be a 40 K fan, um, (laughs) such as it, that's all right. But you know, they're giving us stuff and okay. Aside from the fact that they're being a little bit playful on their website there, I think this is why the community is more positive that we are seeing by and large what we like. It's like, Oh, the community really wants sisters of battle. Well, let's show you what we're going to do and we'll involve you in it. If they do with the leagues of vote down here, what they did with the Sisters of Battle relaunch, you know, and show us the design process and the whole steps of it. I think it'll be fantastic. You know, it'll really wet, a, wet the appetite. I, I haven't gone in on Sisters because they were never one of my old armies. Um, I kind of dropped out of uh, 40K around end of second edition, mostly because Magic of Gathering was released, and that's where all my money went for about a decade. <laughs> uh and then what what happened oh yeah then uh everquest came out yes and that's where all my free time went for another decade and you know it, it kind of comes in waves right and then um and then you know life goes on so I, I think that's the challenge you can't do everything all at once but on a long enough timeline you kind of engage in in everything a little bit so you mentioned everquest which kind of brings me to another question is why did you go to world of warcraft instead of the EverQuest uh, craze. Uh, why did I, oh, why did I write on War, World of Warcraft? Yeah, because uh, you mentioned World of Warcraft. I wrote on World of Warcraft um, mostly because, well, it, it, it wasn't necessarily a, a diss of it, but I was, it was, this was at the peak when EverQuest had been out for a few years. Uh, World of Warcraft was really peaking and had, you know, uh, 10 times the numbers that EverQuest did. And I think mm-hmm. at the time I was writing, EverQuest 2 had come out and wasn't really capturing the market, but World of Warcraft was the dominant player. So sometimes when you're doing research, you, you have to talk about the the big, you know, the big gorilla. And that was really what was interesting. Because, I mean, honestly, let, let's compare the two. Yeah, <laughs> EverQuest was like uh, somebody trying to replicate old school first or second edition Dungeons and Dragons level drain, uh, some hostile mechanic mechanics, uh, you know, I right. naked, naked corpse runs across the Karanas. <laughs> I remember one time I got caught in a death spiral in the, um, in the ogre kingdom. There was that one tunnel there where the two guards would spawn and we were camped. And so they killed me and I respawned because I had camped there. And anyways, I lost about a level and a half in the course of about 20 minutes uh, through through automatic death. <laughs> right. So yeah. ho- some of that hostile anti-player architecture, which was fun. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I still play some pretty, pretty aggressive games. But um, World of Warcraft would be, let's call it the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition um i'm purposely skipping past fourth edition even though i love it um just to avoid that comparison but let's it's it's a lot more friendly to new entrants to the hobby yes and i and it's actually explicitly designed that way and that's part of what i was talking about at that time is that world of warcraft was set up in a way that you could the way they walked you through the progression as a level one player you went through the newbie tutorial zone. You followed all the quests. That'd be enough to get a couple dings out of it. Um, and so the way it was constructed as an experience, where they were really looking at it from the eyes of a new player. So that design thinking that went into the construction of World of Warcraft was really what I think set it apart and and set new standards for the industry. That especially as PC gamers and and Mac gamers, because that was the other thing that um, World of Warcraft did really well, mm-hmm. is it allowed to um, bring in new people that you could hop on that it was relatively easy. And I'm not talking about Warcraft at launch, because I mean you remember the lag bugs trying to loot yeah. a chest 
uh, at launch on in on battle. So and the battle funny Net story server, is that is I always played with lag because I was playing on dial up. <laughs> oh my came. god! Oh. <laughs> What did you do for patches? I mean, I would leave it on overnight. I would just leave it on overnight. (laughs) Oh, oh man. Uh, So yeah, that that would be horrifically brutal. I've, I mean, I've had cable and then high speed since mid nineties. So we've always at least had a good connection here, (laughs) aside from earlier today. Right. Yeah. Um, But um, but uh, yeah. So generally, it was a positive experience. Uh, but yeah, playing with lag on that, it would be, yeah, really rough. But even then, I mean, it was constructed in a way that you could, you know, I, I remember the, the flame wars literally about the exclamation marks over the heads, like, oh, this is too easy, you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, it doesn't make sense to have to you know, draw your own maps just to find your way across a zone and, yeah. and uh, using external guides just to to um, figure out which of the 10 weirdly named NPCs you had to say the right word in the right order for. Um, <laughs> so, so that hostile experience is very much a old school Dungeons and Dragons experience. And, uh, and the fifth edition experience is a lot more player welcoming. So that's kind of the contrast there. Um, now, why is Dungeons and Dragons fandom toxic? Well, again, I think it's a, I, I've made posts on this, but it's, it's a war for, uh, it's social capital, right? And because sites like TikTok uh, reward engagement, then right. you're going to see people that are, you know, say, say something you hate about Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, well, well, I know I'll get 10 times as many views on that than if I'm uh, polite or there's not an argument going on about it. So, uh, so, so it, it tends to have this uh, feedback loop, but to the point, if you're seeing toxic stuff, then stop engaging with toxic stuff. And one of the things that always gets me on TikTok and elsewhere is like, uh, oh, they banned my account, uh, or I, you know, I got uh, this this attack thing was pulled, and I'm like, well, yeah, you were you were making um, aggressive comments, or you're being an internet tough guy, or whatever. Right. So. <laughs> It, it doesn't matter. The, the TikTok moderators are schoolyard, you know, your schoolyard um, supervisor. They, they come out to the schoolyard. They see, is everybody dancing? No, you're not dancing. Well, okay, what's going on? Oh, you're arguing about Dungeons and Dragons. I don't care who started the argument. I'm going to see whoever was throwing the last punch and you're going to detention, right? And that's basically <laughs> how it works. So it really doesn't what matter what the argument is about. Or who started it? They just look at who's throwing the punch, and if it gets reported, then you know look to your own content and right. and maybe think about it. I mean, one of the beauties of TikTok is the fast way that you know it just there's the plus button right there. You can get something put out in moments if you're willing to you know uh, sh- show yourself on camera or even not throw on a filter and uh, and you can have something out there in in minutes. But the downside is you're responsible for the content you put out on your channel. Mm -hmm. Uh, And everybody says it's a page. It's not. Think of it as a channel. You are now a broadcaster. And (laughs) your reach is potentially the world because you don't know what will go viral. There's people that like, oh, my first post went viral. And uh, and now I have 50,000 followers. And now I got to follow that up with something. Good luck. Uh, (laughs) You know, sometimes... Sometimes there's some value in having at least the slow start to, to building some viewership to at least get those skills uh, about how to deal with uh, comments, how to deal with trolls, how to deal with uh, posting new and consistent and good content. And uh, it's different than YouTube, right? Uh, you've noticed YouTubers will try and make the shift over. It's different than Instagram. There's Instagram influencers that are trying to come over to TikTok and going nowhere because it rewards different things and you need different types of engagement. Uh, so that's a continual source of, um, well, I don't want to say what, what's the German word schadenfreude or something. It's like, Oh, you know, that, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> but, but it, it, it's definitely different. So I think it requires a change in perspective and you've been there for over two years and yeah. I've been there for a couple of years now as well to see some of what's been going on. 
I know there's some posters that have been there longer, like you mentioned, uh, Wes Hammer and uh, Graham Johnson and a few other posters that have really mm-hmm. developed the community early on and kind of set the groundwork for what it is. So um, can I speak more about why D&D is toxic? Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. I, I, um, I We've mentioned a couple times on the on the podcast of some of the the creators from D and D because some of their takes, like there's no it kind of brings up another question of does the minimum, does the time limit of that 15, 60 seconds remove the nuance. And if you go to the three minute, you're not seeing like you're getting some more nuance to like your, your bad take, I guess, but it's not, it's not being pushed as much as the faster paced content is. So it it seems like these bigger creators, like you said, they're getting that that gamer like that social credit, but they're doing it at the cost of more content that's just more rapid fire into the same unnuanced stuff. Yeah, uh, I think I think that's part of it. Uh, so I'll, I'll use not social credit, social capital. Social capital. credit Sorry. is uh, <laughs> a different system, but. Uh, <laughs> So what you see is, I mean, okay, I've never done a, a video more than a minute long. Uh, I, I I think that's kind of and uh, all, at a opposite uh, the purpose of the platform. So I, I I've really consciously tried to go away from it. And even though sometimes it ends up being a two or three part series, and I know people are against that sometimes, but I don't think so. We know that watch time is more critical than likes comments matter because uh, there's some form of engagement, but we know that watch time is one of the more critical things. So having a short 15 second or 30 second take uh, can be better than having a three minute one. I've seen during previous flame wars, especially when they're, you know, suspect takes, that people that will try and and bring some nuance to it it's like and i've seen you you do this yourself Mm -hmm. uh you know you try and explain well here's the good side here's the bad side and i've done it too um yeah yeah you get you're you're screaming in the in the hurricane at that point right and (laughs) it's it's not going to really push things through and then other times stuff you mentioned you got to repeat constantly because your viewership say you got uh viewers 500 are maybe going to see any given post you make right mm-hmm. so you got to be a little bit more repetitive and and that's the hard thing for me to learn it's like i probably look very random but <laughs> you gotta so if you want to make a take you might be better off doing three or four posts on it that kind of go through then each each of those posts will at least get four three or four hundred different viewers right um so so that that's part of the whole process too is just getting it out there does it reward uh, the hot take? Absolutely. If you can do uh, uh, a hot 15 second or less take, then you'll get good watch time and you also get some good engagement. But um, I've still been able to bring in some nuance here and there, but it's challenging. <laughs> There's a different way right. of talking when you're going, okay, I've, got a, I've only got a minute to, to do this. So you kind of work it out. And then you gotta go back, go go back through your post and say, okay, this is fluff, this is extraneous. Get right to the point and and maybe recognize that, yeah, a little bit of the nuance is gonna have to be dropped for this, but get to the point that you're making. It's like everything is a is your topic sentence or thesis statement. There's value in that. It forces you to be uh, much more direct in your communication, but it does sometimes. Uh, burn off all the nuance and i notice this especially i don't engage with political tiktok at all uh very (laughs) purposely (laughs) i mean sometimes i might talk about like an economics theory or something but uh and that's partially because some of my phd was economics based uh but you don't engage with it just do not engage. I, 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 would it help my viewership? Would there be more numbers? Maybe. Uh, I don't think it is worth the uh, potential negative effects of something like that. Right. The yeah. flame wars, <laughs> the hassle, the having to make up five backup accounts, the continually appealing posts. I've had two appeals in the last you know six, uh, year and a half. 
both were uh, both went that were approved. So uh, I don't yeah. think it's possible to make good content. It's possible to make positive content, and it's possible to be uh, to make non toxic content. So all of those are just kind of guiding lights. So we're trying to keep. Uh, we're trying to keep a couple topics off the list, and that helps. <laughs> Honestly, right. that helps so much. Yeah. Uh, every time I hit post, every time I'm about to hit post, uh, do I feel like this will either make me smile or will make somebody else smile or at least will make somebody else go, hmm. And those are my rules. If I'm kind of happy about it or if I got a, a fun, funny reference in there that at least makes me laugh, then then that's kind of my golden rule. Am I am – I, uh, am I harshing on anybody? Hopefully not. Sometimes there's some stuff that needs to be harshed on, but yeah. generally there's ways to frame your discussion that isn't directly attacking somebody else or is definitely not insulting somebody else. So there's ways to make positive content. And I think that's kind of the, the overarching goal and watchword for any of the material uh, that I'm trying to put out. Um, do I succeed? Not always, but um, there's some stuff that I should probably yeah. <laughs> um, remove or there's a few bad takes I had, but not, not too many. By and large, it's it's okay. So you, you set yourself some goals and personal guidelines and stick with those and you make positive content, right? Uh, I think, and one of the things I've been harping on lately in some of the, uh, some of the discussion is that TikTok and Facebook and Twitter and the rest are kind of what we call the public sphere, right? Right. That, that notion from Habermas that uh, we are engaged in this version of discussion that's that's part and partial of our, our it's critical to our culture that we have this uh, discussion that's going on uh, between groups and out in the open as well. And so that's why you'll see people that are you know, is TikTok a dating app? No. Do people date because they saw each other on TikTok? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but people got married because they were uh, they were in the same guild in EverQuest or World of Warcraft, you know, decades ago too. So it's right. not unusual. Um, and the same, is it a place for political discussion and discourse? Absolutely. We can talk about this. We can talk about this faster than almost anywhere else aside from like maybe Twitter. Um, <laughs> because the barrier to publication is is so low it's like okay here's here's something that just happened on i don't want to talk about that specifically but say the oscars and it's like oh my god everybody yeah, it was everywhere yeah. take on that whether it's good or bad um you know in literally about a minute right yeah. you can be going live or, or live streaming uh quite easily and in my opinion, though, that's the basics of the Internet just at work, because I've told this to other people, too, like the increased frequency that we hear about things now isn't because it wasn't happening before. It's just because we get the information faster. So absolutely. I mean, it, the at the basic level of what happened at the Oscars being everywhere is literally just the Internet at work, um, in my opinion. Yeah, ab no, absolutely. You're 100% right. I mean, if, if we were on Usenet or ICQ or Hale Instant Messenger, the same kind of thing would have been everywhere you know, within minutes, right? Um, and so there's a low barrier to entry. I think part of it is with, um, with video, you have that very personal relationship to it, right? A lot of people talk about parasocial relationships that you have with online creators. It's like, oh, you, you, you think you know so-and-so because you see them and it's their face. You see their visuals. You see uh, how they react to goofy trends and them making jokes and all that. So you have these relationships that are more than you might have with, say, just somebody that you're chatting with text uh, on Twitter or what have you. Um, and so that makes it feel a little bit different. There's the immediacy. There's the... Uh, and, and the way we hold our phone, right? The fact that it's mm -hmm. just right in front of our face and we saw, see a lot of these are just really focused on us as headshots. We have that uh, feeling that we're talking to somebody directly. And in some cases we are, but uh, it really, we, we instinctively value that, right? And so this is why it can feel really hurtful and, hurtful and, and toxic sometimes when 
maybe there's an argument. It can feel a lot more personal as well. And so that feeds back into our, our other discussion. So um, I've got about, I've got a little bit of time left. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about or you want to keep on going? I actually have, I mean, it's up to you. <laughs> um, I have one more question that kind of relates to this thing. It kind of relates to your paper that you brought up at the beginning and kind of um, TikTok right now. So okay. with the ability to have that video conversation, like so it feels like we're speaking to somebody, where do you think virtual reality fits into that? Because it would be technical, te technologically, it would be a step forward, but socially it would be that step backwards to being just an avatar and say like world of Warcraft, instead of having that physical, like I see this person. Yeah. That's that's a wonderful question, and I know uh, when Facebook announced that they were changing their name to Meta, yeah. I kind of <laughs> started talking about that, and and that's because I mean, literally, I was researching that 15 years ago, about what some of the antecedents to VR was. The problem with VR is that there is no killer app. I mean, if you VR chat's pretty cool, and half game wise, some of them are cool. Some of them are not, especially if they're not natively designed for VR. Um, but VR is still isn't there, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And that it feels like the interface gets in the way of the actual engagement. And the way we've come to use our phones kind of gets us away from that. Like the beauty of like, say, a TikTok is it's right there in front of you. There's no other equipment. We all have our phones. They're with us constantly. Uh, and so you just can get that going. So is it going to be VR? Or my guess, honestly, is that I think we're going to see AR more or more quickly than we will see VR. And, and we're kind of trending to that with some of the way the filters are working with you know having somebody embedded within your camera or uh, next to you i think the developments we're seeing there are going to be moving along that trend quicker than we'll see the vr being implement implemented i mean i know there's a lot of money behind it i know there's a lot of drive and i know <laughs> with the various other components of that infrastructure like you know the Bitcoin and blockchain yeah. and uh, NFTs and the like, um, they're moving towards developing it. They they still have the vision. They still have um, you know cyberspace in their eyes, but I don't think <laughs> I don't think there's necessarily the consumer uptake of it yet. Right. So I think we're going to see something through our phones. And that would mean AR rather than uh, VR becoming the norm. Now, and, and I mean, even this drive to VR with us all home and right. doing video <laughs> conferencing and, uh, and that and becoming more accustomed to it. But, you know, a lot of us at the end of a day of video conferencing and Teams meetings or Skype or what have you, the last thing we want to do is... Um, you know, put on a, a headset and do more of that. I mean, right. so, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it's yeah. like, uh, <laughs> uh, no, thank you. I'm, I'm done with this zoom call and, uh, I'm going to, you know, go bake, bake bread and uh, work in my garden and do all these other things that don't involve, uh, the screen in front of us. And then I'll, you know, check out TikTok for two hours instead. But right. <laughs> I mean, at least, at least there's a, there's a choice there. So, so I, I think that's likely what we're going to see. The impediment to VR has always been the hardware. And until yeah. that changes, till it gets lighter, till it gets a little bit more uh, user-friendly and easier to use, and the software uh, portions of it, I mean, can you imagine having to do tech support for a family member for VR chat to kind of get it going? <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, it's, it's difficult yeah. enough with, um, you know, the, the apps and the tools we still have. And even those are closely mirror what we have for, uh, what we had for the, um, previous tech, 
right? Uh, a Skype phone call isn't that different from a, an old school phone call, really. Right. I mean, you might have video, but if you're if you're just audio only, it's very similar, right? Correct. You you still you click here, you talk into a mic, you have headset on, but it, by and large, it's 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 very simple. So that idea of the affordances of the hardware allow for the uptake of the software and that really speaks to where something might be going so vr i'd love to see it but um is it going to happen i don't think so not yet and so <laughs> uh, i I'll, I'll, be, I'll be pleasantly wrong but um, i think there's some other things that need to be taking place before we see a, a wide uh, uptake in vr can it be a fantastic experience? Sure. But how much you got to spend for that fantastic experience right now? Uh, you know, I, I got a Valve Index here, which is pretty nice. But even then, that's just headset. I don't have a haptic vest or, you know, that um, that one thing where you can run on it to just keep yeah. moving. Um, <laughs> you know, if I'm willing to drop another 20 grand, I'd have a very cool <laughs> setup. But uh, that also is right in line with a new car and not, uh, not you know. Right. Yeah. So I think we, we know how the technology adoption curve works. We know how the price curve on new technology happens. Uh, so that might mean 2025, 2030, maybe. Um, who, who knows? But I think that's probably the big uh, stumbling point for VR and that there's quicker, easier, and pretty equally effective ways to do uh, the communication right now. And TikTok kind of, um, it's its not the, it, TikTok is its own thing. And, and I'll, uh, maybe I, I could come back in a couple months once these papers are done and oh, sure. <laughs> out, out to the publishers and, and talk about that. I'd love to do that. Um, but uh, let's just say, uh, it, it's been fun looking at it for sure. And whether the platform is TikTok or a competitor to it, then we'll see. Uh, it depends on if, uh, I think the big thing for TikTok depends on if it can remain true to what it, you know, what made it what it is uh, or whether it keeps adding features and everything turns into everything else. Like, you know, Instagram has the same features as TikTok, has the same features as Snapchat, has the same features as, as YouTube they all become the same, right? Uh, and right. they're just different versions of it. Um, I think there's still some value in knowing what you're good at and doing it better than anybody else in the world. Uh, Keith Richards once said of ACDC that, you know, they only know one tune, but they play that tune better than anybody else plays any other tune, right? So right. <laughs> you can think of your apps doing the same thing. And maybe sometimes it's better to concentrate on what you do well. Okay. Good point. So, All right. Well, I, well, I got. Uh, do you want to do one more thing? Fun thing? No. I mean, if you got to go, we we can do the. How do we get a hold of you? What do you oh. got in the work? You know, your hype train stuff, and then um, oh, you're uh, definitely the welcome train, to come back. The hype train's <laughs> odd because not all of it. It's it's there, but it's not all there yet. If you know what I mean. Uh, so on TikTok, it's Doctor Dot Implausible or Doctor Implausible. I don't know which way it works. Uh, you can also reach me at doctor.implausible at implausa.blog. Uh, I do have a YouTube channel reserved and the implausa pod should be starting, uh, within a few weeks here. If I can get episode one recorded this weekend, uh, otherwise it'll, it'll take a little bit. So we're slowly spreading out across the socials. Uh, basically if you see a doctor implausible, there's a reasonably decent chance it's me. I don't think my... <laughs> Stuff has been copied too much yet, so uh, look for that, um, and hopefully that's good for getting in contact. But um, I was going to say the fun one, seeing as we've got the League of Votan is now um, <laughs> is now official. Uh, what uh, that that kind of takes one of my two top ten of things I want to see from 40k list. Uh, so let's see i'll give you my my top five things i want to see from 40k all right yeah sounds <laughs> good. <laughs> let me let me adjust squats off the lists so i want i want to see um an agents of the imperium army that is an inquisitor that is press ganged 
in a bunch of uh, different Necromunda gangs. So in the same way that uh, in uh, the Chaos for Sigmar, you can um, get all the different Warcry warbands as uh, little units within uh, a larger Chaos Slaves to Darkness army. I would love to see, you know, Inquisitor comes to like a, a Necromunda hive and just says, all these gangs, okay, you're all, yeah, bring <laughs> your weapons. You're all part of Imperial service now and uh, be able to field a, a mishmash Imperial army led by a rogue trader or an Inquisitor. That would be like my top one to see. I think that would be an absolute crazy, uh, totally fun on the field. It's like uh, just the complete Imperial soup army I can already uh, hear the screeching led, led by an Inquisitor <laughs> or a rogue trader. I think that would be fantastic. Um, I did buy, I think at the end of 7th, I bought the Imperial Agents book. And it was good for about two months, and then they brought out the edition. <laughs> so I know if I ever see that army, I know there's another edition coming along. That'd be a top one. Uh, second, well, they got Eldar Corsairs, so um, yeah. I would love to see the full Eldar soup. Basically, I'm, I'm a big fan of soup, so give me as many different sub-factions as possible. Uh, <laughs> so give me, uh, give me the Exodites. Let me... Let me grab my Seraphon uh, Carnosaurs and, and big uh, armies and glue some uh, Eldar Corsairs to their backs and call it an army, and, and I'm down for that. We know they got the models, so just let me uh, do some converting and put them together. That's number two. <laughs> um, number three, they got to finish off the Chaos lists. Uh, we need Fulgrim, we need Angron. Yeah. And we need to have full codexes or at least uh, options for Emperor's children. What they did with uh, Thousand Sons has been fantastic. And same with the Death Guard. I know you can agree with this. So we need uh, we need a full Emperor's children list. I don't want to have to take a Marathi kit and hack together a Phil Fulgrim out of it. Right. <laughs> but if, if you know, I, I, if you grab a Sig Sigvald and... Uh, and and Marathi and, and mush yep. them together. You could probably just make your own full, full grim, but uh, I prefer to to actually have a kit for it. Right. Yeah. I, me too. <laughs> I, I know it costs two hundred bucks. I, I'd still want to see it. And I know Angron is basically Scarbrand with a couple add-on bits, but um, give give me a let, let's get rid of the bunny ear Marines and uh, and get some proper um, proper world eaters there. Yes. Uh, so that's four. <laughs> let's see. I want. I want a Tau, uh, the humans for the Tau. What are they called? Um, Gisva or something? Gisva? I don't remember. Okay. I know they have, they have a, the Tau are not just the Tau because they have the Krut, which you see mostly. And then the other, like, they're called, what are they called? Vespar? Yeah, the Vespids. Yeah. And the Slith. I think there's a Slith model with the Dark Eldar range, and there's one or two. I'd love. An all alien, uh, but not just Tau. I, you know, give me Zotes. I still got four metal Zotes here, and <laughs> and the and the one from Blackstone Fortress. Give me give me that. Let me do an all alien legion, uh, alien army for for Tau with like no battlesuits, just Crute and Vespid and Zotes and yeah. Slith and everything else. I'd love to have the alien horde. It just is. It, give me some Jokero and everything else that's possible in the universe. Even without the towel, so let me run that. I'd love to see that. <laughs> and then um, let's see. So we covered chaos, we covered Tau, covered Imperial, uh, we covered Eldar. I think those are the big ones. And we got squats coming. And then last yep. but not least, <laughs> I want something weird. I want I want them to go into the depths of the like Rogue Trader book and pull out the vampires or the enslavers or something weird. In fact, I'm going to talk about the enslavers. I think that's uh, lined up for podcast number four. So uh, that is a, that's a fun one. I got, I know what the original source came. It came from a TV show called space 1999. And they're <laughs> like a psychic race that kind of uh, takes control of other play, other uh, creatures. So you could do a fantastic models with that, make them all transparent plastic or something, and yeah. <laughs> just uh, totally bring that to town. I would love to see them go deep into the archives for something like that. Just something new, completely alien, completely different. And something like that, you could just use any other race or faction and just say, oh, yeah, this is enslaved. 
and um, and just have another <laughs> mishmash army on there with like a couple special characters, almost like how the Inari work. Do you remember so the um, there's the Battle that Brothers? Would, that rule? would be fun. Oh, sorry. Do you remember the Battle Brothers rule from Sixth Edition? Oh where... yeah, so you'd have Necrons and Blood Angels together. Yeah, yeah. But and then only certain thing they couldn't be within like twelve inches of each other, but you could still play them on the same field. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's when you saw all the ta- Tau and Eldar com- combination lists and stuff. Yep. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, why not? I'd rather have, and honestly, it works for me because I pick up a box of this and a box of that and whatever because it looks cool. So do something that allows uh, players to just use their whole force. It's just like, yeah, okay, this is, you know, you got 3,000 points of chaos. I've got uh, 500 points of six different factions. Let, give me a rule to bring them all together on the battlefield. And, I mean, I guess you can do that in what it was called open war. But uh, just uh, let me do that in a competition or a tournament and just have some fun with it. <laughs> so <laughs> so that, that would be, uh, those would be the things I'd like to see. Just allow some creativity, allow some fun. I don't think it would be too... Uh, you, you'd, you'd miss some of the army-wide special rules and stuff, so it won't be too broken. But it, it could be a lot of fun, though I don't know why Tyranids would really work with anything. Uh, but there's got to be some reason, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they I think they could get away with it if they had something like um, Age of Sigmar does with their different orders. Because you can take anything as long as it's like if you're in order, destruction, death, as long as you stay in the main categories – you can take anything with it, but it doesn't synergize with anything else. Oh, right. Yeah. So like Chaos, Imperium, Eldar, and Xenos, I guess. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah, okay. You still get a couple weird combos. The Tau Orc Necron Alliance, is, it doesn't quite make sense, but right, you know. Right. <laughs> um, oh, and we need Trader Guard. We need Trader Guard stat. I think, yes. I think that would be awesome. But there, there's the bonus one. But yeah, I'd love to see all that. So this is what I'm looking for. I'll, uh, I might still have to scratch build some squat vehicles uh, before these models <laughs> come out. But uh, get get my squat land train going together out of some uh, styrofoam. But otherwise, <laughs> uh, looking forward to seeing what they come out with. So thanks for the news on that one. That was a. Uh, Hot off the presses here, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see. So, yeah, it's uh, Dr. Implausible on some of the socials. And uh, though we avoid Facebook for uh, solid reasons. And, um, <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we're looking forward to maybe coming back in a few months here once we got some more stuff that we can actually – I can I can reveal the deets behind some of these papers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, yeah, no problem. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks very much, Jay. This has been super fun. Uh, have a – hope this is uh, – uh, looking forward to hearing that and yeah uh, thank you again for the invite much appreciated love your content uh, <laughs> keep on painting those Eldar or whatever army you've moved on to and uh, get that out there and I can't wait to see your dragon and looking forward to seeing all these entrants from the painting competition it'll be fantastic yeah they're coming they're coming so thank you for being here um i was d- genuinely excited when you said you wanted to be a part of this so well I'm very happy this is uh my first podcast appearance so um yeah we'll uh we'll uh look forward to talking to you and all your fans sometime soon thanks all right. thank you yeah take care <laughs>